Good morning, WCC. It's uh, good to be here today. Hope you guys are doing well as we finish out this last week of the Psalms, the summer of the Psalms, so week eight here. Um, and I just want to kind of start out and just be honest with you guys. Uh, this week has been uh, pretty unique with just a lot of stuff uh, happening. I'm sure you guys have had these weeks where um, just uh, things keep coming and keep coming. And, and this Psalm has really been a great refreshment for me through that time, and, and I've had, I have a lot of cu- tough conversations, uh, even dealing with things like our political system. A good friend of mine has just become extremely ill, and, and still is. Uh, we had, one of my sons had a, a fight with a ceiling fan, and, and we had to get a staple in his head, and then two days later, we had a, he got stung by a bee, and we had to rush him to the emergency room, because he just broke out in, in hives. It was kind of scary, um, but Along with that, it's just speaking uh, with numerous high school students that are just kind of battling in their faith right now in, in light of this world. So um, this, this psalm has, has really been a, a comfort and, and good uh, on that level. So um, can you guys just join me in prayer before we get uh, started here and, and just kind of align our, my heart and our hearts here. Lord, we give you thanks and, and praise for your goodness and your kindness, for being our fortress, our refuge, a place to go to knowing that you are always with us. And Lord, I just pray that you guide uh, my words, that my preparation glorifies you, and, and Lord, just edit it as you will. So we love you, and we praise you in all things. Amen. All right. Um, so I, I meet with a lot of people. as In my life, I'm a teacher and a pastor and as a coach and a, and a friend. And Man, I really enjoy people. I care about people. And the more I get to know people and learn their story, I really come to appreciate uh, who they are and really why they are the way they are. Their successes and their risks and their temptations or their failures. And, and what it does is it causes me to grow in empathy. That's uh, something I, I, I need a lot more of that. And, and I can relate to those people better by understanding them because um, we might have had similar stories. And we might be able to help each other out or, or grow uh, through each other's experiences. And I really think that's just a, a great thing to do is to reflect on who we are. Uh, what has the Lord taught me through my various experiences as a person? And even thinking, like, where am I tempted? Where do I doubt? Where have I persevered through hard times? And why is that? And I encourage you guys to do the same thing at at some point in your life. Uh, I think it's it's good to do, to reflect on your life. And I have an instance in my life that's uh, really shaped me to the uh, quite a bit. Um, it's not something that happened overnight. This was over the course of, of many years. And this has grown me in my faith to the point where I am today. And I'm not saying I'm, I'm at the end all be all, but um, it's through these trials that has caused me to cling to Christ and to know his presence in my life, and that without him as my refuge and my fortress, as we're going to see today in this psalm, that I would probably get eaten alive. Uh, Not good. So here's my story. Uh, I was an athlete in college, and I went to a a big hockey school as a hockey player. I loved it, but really over the course of the years, I just had these negative thoughts start to creep into my head. And I had a, a coach who was just hypercritical, and I really came to fear him. Um, I wanted to please him, 
a, a lot, and anything negative he said about myself or my play, like I just took it to heart, and, and really it, it wrecked me uh, in my play. Like my play vacillated between being a really good player on the team to a guy who's fighting for a spot in the lineup, and then back to being a good player and then fighting for a spot in the lineup. So it, it messed with me, and, and those feelings, uh, unfortunately, continued to get worse for me as college went on, and, and those feelings even stayed with me after I got out of college. I was able to play professional hockey after college, but my first two years, I was so nervous of being cut from my team, being put on waivers, like my critical college coach's voice was just like always in my head, um, thinking that I'd lose my job if I'd make a mistake. And because that's a possibility in the minor leagues, um, it, was, it was a reality. And, and here's the thing, I was married now, so our family income was based off of my performance and my play. And, and even though I was playing fine at the time, my anxiety and my, my thoughts would just paralyze me at, at points. And thankfully, my wife, who was much more faithful than me, would continue to remind me <laughs> weekly, daily, uh, that God is sovereign over things, that he is in control. And, and I would agree with her. I, I'd say, yes, amen. I, I agree with you, Hope. Um, but my actions and my thoughts, like they, were, they told a totally different story because I was still scared of any potential bad news. And this doubt in God... This faith that was really based off of my circumstances hampered me from, uh, geez, my sophomore year in college till probably three years outside of college. But I can see now reflecting back that God was teaching me through trials, through temptations. He was surrounding me with people who continually spoke truth to me that God is sovereign, that he's good, that he loves me. And that if everything does fall apart, because I, I think at some level it will all fall apart, I think that's a guarantee in life, that, that he's going to protect me. And he's going to protect me from this life all the way into the next life. He's going to be my fortress, and he's going to be my refuge. Fortress, that, that strong strength, that tower of, of might, and that refuge, that shelter from, from the bad things, the storms. Um, so this, this psalm has been such a, a great blessing to me, not only to affirm to me that God is with me and he is a, a stable, a peaceful presence in my life, but this is a, a gift uh, that is to all believers in all situations. So the psalms are, are really an amazing example of how to deal with this world, uh, the mess uh, of this world, the mess in our heads, uh, in our minds, right? We cry out, we complain, we sin but not until we can proclaim and walk out the truths of God will we ever become overcome by them and be able to abide in him. And, and my prayer is that through this psalm, um, that this can help sustain us in life's struggles, to teach us. And as we launch into this psalm, uh, I want you guys to keep in mind this. Keep in mind the presence of God in the midst of his people. In the midst of the world and our call to trust him in all situations. That's, that's the theme of this psalm. The psalm is, is really a combination of the natural world and its problems and the political world and all of its problems. With God being the refuge and the fortress between both of those. And that's why I titled the sermon today, Our Refuge, Our Fortress. 
um, into the psalm. We can't really understand the original life situation of the psalm when it was penned. It could have been after a battle, which is actually where I lean towards, and I'll explain that later why I think that. Uh, or it could be just written for a festival and reflecting on God. But it's both a psalm of praise and confidence in God, as he is and he will be exalted amongst the nations in the midst of chaos. And the psalm is divided into three sections, uh, each one proclaiming that God is with us and he's our refuge and our strength. And, and the thoughts of the psalm are organized into pairs with the second one, either uh, explaining or restating the first one. That's that's called the Hebrew parallelism. That's how it works. It's uh, throughout most of the Psalms. And the Psalm, it's written to the choir master. Uh, that's how it introduces. It says, uh, written to the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to Alamoth. That term Alamoth just means it's probably sung in like a, a higher range, like a soprano or, or a falsetto. Um, and we've heard earlier that the sons of Korah, I, I, Chad Barlow really explained the duties of the, the sons of Korah, and they were more like doorkeepers of the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, and that during the time of King David, they became really great leaders for the music in the tabernacle, uh, both choral orchestral music in there. And here's a fun fact about the sons of Korahs. The Korah um, was their great-grandfather. And at, at one point... Korah got extremely upset with Moses and Aaron, and this is detailed out in chapter 16 of Numbers, and uh, Korah calls out Moses and really tries to usurp his power, and Moses brought this challenge that Korah was bringing to him before the Lord, and uh, the result of it was where Korah was standing, uh, and with all of his associates, the earth opened up and swallowed him and his, his associates up. Uh, to their death. Um, but, but Korah's sons, his descendants, uh, went on then to serve the Lord in big ways. And I think that that could be part of the backstory when we read in Psalm 46, verse 2, that though the earth gives way, we should not fear. Right? Number 16 is a frightening chapter in the Bible. Um, and I could imagine that that story was probably passed down to these younger generations, these sons of Korahs, uh, and, and they could have been a part of that backdrop. So I'll digress here and get into the psalm. Uh, verse 1 says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. The tense of this verse does not indicate that God was at one time a refuge and strength, but is a very present one, but one that was, that is, and will be to come. God is our refuge. He's our shelter in the storm. He's our strength. He's the omnipotent God, the all-powerful. He is a very present help in trouble. Verse 2 and 3 gives us the implications of knowing God as our refuge and strength. It says this, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. He's Selah. I know some of this language is, is hyperbole, but the life of that Old Testament saint was one of constant reckoning on who would keep them safe. God has preserved his city of Jerusalem and the people in incredible feats. He's proven himself over and over again that even when things are so confusing around them, the earth seems to have been thrown into disarray that there should be peace 
and calmness in the hearts of his people. The psalmist says, we will not fear. And that's not in the sense that they can't acknowledge this fear, but that they have the strength and courage through God to calm that fear. And it's only through him that that is accomplished. And then we see the word selah positioned after verse 3 here. And it probably means just to focus or to pause. And by doing that, I think about the disasters that have happened in our lives, the natural disasters, like the hurricanes, Hurricane Ida going up from New Orleans all the way up to New York City, and the fires in the West, and we're really familiar with those here as well, and the flooding and so forth, and, and you know, maybe we're not dealing with physical disasters here today, um, but maybe we have real earthquakes in our life, physical trials, and maybe it's a diagnosis, or maybe it's a loss of a loved one. I mean, our, our dearest friends just lost their, their mom this uh, past week. And maybe, it's a, maybe it's a financial crisis or a broken relationship. But all these things are, are real, and they are life-changing on a lot of levels. So I don't want to limit our understanding of the psalm here to just be uh, one of some theoretical natural disaster that can occur, or even real ones, but realities that even we could be facing today at this moment. And the psalmist did tell us how to deal with these. When you face these moments, and everyone on this fallen planet has dealt with these moments, we're told to turn to him as our refuge and our strength, the one who calms the seas, the one who fixes the mountains in their place, and the one who is our refuge, our very present help in times of trouble, our fortress. We could probably ask the question, well, can God do this? Let's look at verse 4 and 5. 4 and 5 uh, like interjects in this dire meltdown situation of earth. And, and the psalmist really quickly changes to speak of a place that is I think a stark contrast of what we're just in. It says this in verse 4 and 5. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. 4 and 5 informs us that there is a stream that is not roaring and it's not troubled the water is a stream that makes the city of God glad. The city of God here is referring uh, to Zion, to Jerusalem, and, and its inhabitants. And the, uh, that picture of the water is calm. It's, it's life-giving. And I think it's synonymous with the river that proceeds from the throne of God in, in Revelation 22, which I, I really want to read out here. But I also think it reflects what we see in Psalm 1 as that river of life. And, and even we can go back to the rivers through the Garden of Eden. I think it's reflective of that too. But I, I like Revelations 22 that speaks of this river. It says this in verses 1 through 5. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. 
No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun. The Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is life-giving water. It's pure. It's water refreshment. It's not turbulent. This is good. And then we see uh, the place that that stream goes to is the holy habitation of God, of the Most High, the dwelling place of God himself. I said earlier, it's, it's a partial reference to Jerusalem and the temple, but really and ultimately it's a reference to God's dwelling place, his throne room where he rules and where he reigns, not a place that is unstable or a piece of earth that's slipping into the ocean. Rather, he is the foundation of a mountain and a people that shall not be moved. That's quite the change up uh, in scenario here. The first section paints a picture of the earth falling apart, and now we're in the scenario of life and peace and gladness and, and what makes the difference between the two, and that's what verse 5 says. It's because God's presence is in the midst of her. God's presence assures that his dwelling place is secure, that it's stable, and that it's full of life. And you might be thinking, hey, Jake, we're not there. We're not in Jerusalem. We're here. Like, it's a mess. We can't enjoy that place, at least not now. So what do we do in the meantime? And first, we have to make sure that we're not making the mistake of thinking that it's the place that makes the difference. Listen to me. It's not the place that makes the difference here. It's the person who makes the difference. It's the person of God, whether he is in the dwelling place or the temple or in heaven or in you. That makes the difference. That's the good news. Because as Christians, we can understand that we don't have to go somewhere to be in the presence of God and know the benefits that the presence of God brings. And that's the theme of the psalm. We see in verse 1, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very present help in trouble. And coming up here in verse 7, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And it's repeated again at the end of the psalm. It's strength in weakness. He's our comfort in affliction. He is our security in chaos. And, and he's with us even now. And then in verse 6, we see this scene is turning to another problem on earth. We're now going from the natural things that happen in nature to uh, the nations. And probably think of these as political realities. Verses uh, 6 through 8 uh, say this. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. <clears throat> now, I don't think I have to spend too much time explaining what uh, political unrest is, right? Politics in our nation have been and, and uh, will continue to be morally and politically bankrupt. I think that's a, a guarantee. I mean, you can just read the newspaper and you understand exactly what I'm talking about or, or try to go one day in your life 
and not be pulled aside or hear about the polarization of our politics and our identities. I mean, it's not just enough to take a stand for what you believe in these days, but, but now you're forced to demonize others who are made in God's image. It's, it's a mess. The global scene is a disaster on a lot of levels. You have groups like ISIS-K and the Taliban and, and Boko Haram, and you have child exploitation. You have corruption in business and politics. You have uh, human trafficking. I mean, it's just a, you can go on and on. It can get a little crazy, but this is not new. Right? Kingdoms and nations have come up and have fallen down from the beginning of time. I mean, the, the second half of verse 6 says this, that he utters his word and the earth melts. And this is what I think is important. I think it's important to remember that when it comes to battles such as these, nations rage and warring, we never want to think of these battles as a battle between good and evil, and good is stronger and wins out, because all God has to do is speak, and it's over. One word. He spoke creation with one word. He can take it out with one word. And I'm always in awe of God to think that he spoke creation with one word. And, and just think of this. I heard this this week at our chapel, uh, at our school, RCS, and, and, and it just shows the power of God. Like, think of the, the length or the time, one light year. It's how far light travels. A beam of light would travel in one year. This blows my mind. It goes 5.8 trillion miles. Uh, that's equal to one light year. And then you think of our, our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. To get from one side of the galaxy to the other, it would take you well over 100,000 light years just to get across our galaxy. Like, my mind doesn't comprehend that. It is. It blows my mind. And then to just make it melt as well, we as the Milky Way galaxy are in one of hundreds and hundreds of billions of galaxies in the universe. I mean... It's ridiculous. And then think of what's going on outside of those galaxies. It's just, it, it, it's crazy. But what it does is it, it, it allows me to understand and acknowledge that our God is all-powerful. And any power that Satan has ultimately comes only from the permission of the Lord himself. After we read about his absolute control over the rebellion nations, the psalmist shows the care that God has for his people. This all-powerful God cares for his people. Verse 7 says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Pause. That's why in verse 8, the psalmist then just calls us to come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. As I mentioned earlier, I really think that this psalm was written after what, what I think is a specific uh, battle or campaign on the Lord. And um, 
this is not thus saith the, the Lord. This is just this is Jake talking here. But um, we have a, a, a scene in Second Kings with the Assyrian army, and in 700 BC we see this uh, Assyrian army, probably the most powerful military on earth, uh, walk down and start to lay siege to Jerusalem. Hezekiah was the king there at this time. Isaiah the prophet was there as well. And this was 700, so 20 years before Assyria took the 10 tribes of Israel, the northern tribes, and resettled them as Syria, and they're to never be seen uh, again. And what I see here was as they were laying siege, the, the king of Assyria, Sennacherib, brought 185,000 troops to lay and encamp outside the walls of Jerusalem. And Hezekiah and Isaiah are pleading out to the Lord for an answer. And we, it's a really cool uh, verse in, in 2 Kings 19, but the Lord reveals to Isaiah at this time, which speaks to the rest of Jerusalem, that there will not be one arrow that touches Jerusalem. And the next morning, Sennacherib wakes up and walks down into his, uh, his military and he sees 185,000 troops dead. And he runs back to Nineveh, his capital. He ends up getting murdered by one of his sons. In the next 100 years, we just see kind of chaos in Assyria go before they're eventually taken over by Babylon. And I, I think that this psalm would uh, be placed very, very properly after that, to see that uh, not a, a bow is going to be broken, the shatters of the spears, the chariots burned, uh, wiped out, essentially. You know, in, in Psalm 2, uh, it's no wonder that it says that when the nations conspire against God, he laughs at them. His sovereignty is universal. His power is, is absolute. His plan is unchanging. It's unchangeable. Isaiah 45, 7 says this, that I form the light and create the darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. And in light of this, I think it really helps us understand verse 10. Verse 10 is that ultra-famous verse that says, Be still and know that I am God. But this is not the, the quiet and gentle voice I think most of us see on the side of a coffee mug or on your refrigerator. Um, let's see like this, and, and I'm going to try to use an analogy of, of my own kids with God speaking to these warring nations, and just go with me here for a little bit, but let's say my kids are all out on the trampoline, and then one tackles the other, so the other one tackles the one who tackled the first one, and the fourth one wants to get on this action, so he jumps in, and they start swinging at each other, and, and they start screaming, and someone probably starts crying, and, and then I see this, and I witness it from, from the house, and Guys, this is an analogy. It probably would never happen at the Pence house, but just go with me on this. I walk outside, and I see them, and I say, hey, knock it off. Stop it. And that's the picture I see here of, of God saying, stop. And then you see my kids. They just stop in an instant, and they look at me, and, and that's where I see men are at war. Kingdoms are at each other. Nations rage, and God says, be still. Stop striving. And I think he's warning them of the reality of his presence and eventual judgment. 
And he's telling them to stop. And I think that God is, is also speaking to us. Not to just the raging nations or the earth itself, but probably also speaking to us because we can get so wrapped up in natural disasters and political upheavals and, and so forth that we can lose sight of the big picture. Like we need a slap to the back of the head sometimes saying, remember who you are and remember who he is. Look at the second phrase in verse 10. It says, he will be exalted among the nations, and I will be exalted on the earth. Both of the themes are addressed there. Uh, he's going to be exalted among the nations, the, the political realities, and he's going to be exalted on the earth with the physical world. Those coincide with each section. And, and in verse 11, we conclude the psalm. We're reminded that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He's not far away. He's very present. He's a very present help in times of trouble. It says that in verse 1 and verse 7 and verse 11. just encapsulates the psalm. Our God is not a distant God. We're told that he is our present help in times of trouble. He is with us. Now let's be honest for a moment. Does it seem like it's that way to you right now? Does it seem like God is here right now? Does it feel like he is your very present help in trouble? Are you owning that? Are you experiencing that? And I bet the answer is no, if we're honest. It's not always like that. Probably most mornings, you might be waking up nervous or anxious for what the day is going to bring. What's going to happen with my relationships? What's going to be the diagnosis? What's going, to, what's going to happen with COVID and mandates in our political world and the Weld RE4 school board? What's going to happen with Afghanistan and terrorism, drugs? You name it. The list can go on. And I think about that, and, and when we think about that, we can get anxiety, and we can become restless on this stuff, just like when I was playing hockey for those years. I think that's why it's so important that what we do is we need to preach to ourselves every day. We need to grasp the truth that God is right here, right now, fully present. He's not some far-off God, and that's a decision of faith. If we're to grow as Christians, we're going to walk the walk. We need to battle against the flesh. We have to, by faith, believe in his word and his promises, and then live according to that choice. Words, action, thoughts that are consistent with the reality of the presence of God right now. We need to renew our minds. He is here. He is in us. And these truths that we read about, it's not just an Old Testament reality. It's confirmed in the New Testament. Let's open up to Philippians 4, verses 6 through 9. It says this. It starts out, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make your requests be made known to God. And the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
I mean, in the craziness of the world, it starts with this, the Lord is at hand. When anxiety rears up, the God of peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Romans 8, 35 through 39 say this, Whom shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. Our identity are not in the movements of this earth, but in the stability of the Lord. And here is the hard truth. This is the, the one the Lord has shown me, that the truth that God is present and a help in trouble, those can really, that can really best be experienced and confirmed in trials. In that great forge called life, through trials, I am either going to cling to Christ or I am going to cling to the garbage of this world. Through trials, I am either going to draw upon the strength of the Lord or it's like grabbing dust. And I want to finish today with a story about Martin Luther that I found. Um, Martin Luther, the great reformer, really helped me digest the psalm, he would repeatedly turn to the psalms for solace and strength. With uh, the continent of Europe in an upheaval, he found a lot of comfort in these soul-lifting truths of the psalms. He, he bathed in the psalms, I would say. Uh, specifically, though, the year 1527, Luther probably faced one of the biggest difficulties of his life as the Black Plague swept across Germany and really much of the European continent. And during this time, Luther had a daughter that died shortly after birth. His son almost died. His body was failing under the mounting pressure that he had. Uh, literally, people were dying all around him all the time, and nobody knew how to stop it. And not only that, but the Holy Roman Empire was, was after him. They had a death warrant out for him. And in the midst of this personal conflict, Luther found himself contemplating uh, the promises of this psalm, of Psalm 46, to trust in the presence of the Lord in times of trouble. And, and gaining new strength from this psalm, uh, Luther composed what's arguably his most famous hymn called A Mighty Fortress. I'm sure you guys have heard it. And amid such adversity, this, this embattled giant found God to be his bulwark, never failing. And though he had previously taught, and, and he's the guy that even translated the Psalms, Luther now found in, fi, finds himself uh, living out these Psalms in person. 
as never before. And it's, it's written that uh, a lot of times during this dark and tumultuous period that when he got really discouraged, he'd turn to his coworker, uh, a guy named Philip Melanchthon, and he would say, come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. So I think it's only fitting that we finish today uh, doing the same thing by singing his famous song, A Mighty Fortress. So pray with me. Lord, we are in awe of your power and strength and that you, um, that you love us and that even through the, uh, the work of Christ who, who condescended, who left heaven to take on flesh and to live a, a perfect sacrificial life, uh, death and uh, resurrected uh, and defeated death, and shared that with us through his love, through his blood on the cross. So, Lord, we are just in awe of that, and we're so thankful that we can have you as our refuge and our strength in all times. So, Lord, we give you praise and thanks in everything. Amen. Church, would you stand?